Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I am the host of the Manchester Living Podcast and a partner at Manchester Living. The purpose of the Manchester Living Podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There is a lexicon of elder care terms on the website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. Today, we are talking about music and the mind, music therapy, huge, huge, impactful part of elder care. And I'm excited about today's show. Um, First, we're going to get to new and noteworthy. Researchers at the University of Miami School of Medicine found that providing music therapy to those living with brain change can increase key brain chemicals such as melatonin and uh, serotonin in the patient's. These chemicals promote reduced agitation and improved mood. Let's take a look at this video. So today, let's jump in. I've got on the show um, a music therapist, Madison Williamson. Thank you for being here. I also have Marcy Friedman, Executive Director of Southwest Music Therapy. Hello. (laughs) All right. Let's get to it. Madison, who are you and what do you do? I am a music therapist um, working in the North Dallas area. I do hospice music therapy as well as group and individual visits, and I'm also earning my master's in counseling. Very well. Marcy. Okay. Um, I currently own and operate a private practice called Southwestern Music Therapy, and I currently work with um, many different populations from children all the way up to end-of-life hospice care and geriatric populations. Nice. Thank you. All right, let's start with Madison. How did you get into this business and what is your favorite part of this business? Well, I always knew that I wanted music to be a part of my career and I initially thought that I wanted to do music education, Um, but I heard that music therapy was a viable career option and I ended up at SMU just down the road um, and fell in love with it. So that's my story of music therapy. But there's so many things you can do with music therapy. I know, Marcy, you work with several different populations. Um, And I actually thought that I wanted to work in the NICU. I thought I wanted to work with young children and infants. But then I did a practicum rotation at Faith Presbyterian Hospice. I ended up doing my internship there. I just fell in love um, with working with older adults and especially with the hospice philosophy. That's great. Um, Marcy? Yes. Um, So why did I get into music therapy to begin with? Well, I actually um, studied voice and I did a lot of music theater and opera study. And um, I wanted to do more with it than just be 
entertaining or an entertainer or being part of shows. And, and it was fine that way because I was giving back to the public, but I, I wanted something more intrinsic and more meaningful. And so um, kind of stems back a little bit to childhood mm-hmm. when I was about five. Um, I had kind of gravitated to seniors, gravitated to children with, dis- with certain special needs. Um, and it was something that just intrinsically I had some sort of uh, emotional connection with. And so I studied at Arizona State University. I, I started with um, with uh, the music uh, theater degree, and I actually changed it over to music therapy degree my sophomore year, and went that uh, went that route because um, I really want to learn more about the profession. And so, through my experience of my study and um, my internship experience, it kind of solidified why. Um, it's important to be a music therapist, what your role is, how you uh, make a huge difference in people's lives. And you see such a positive income uh, outcome, you know, from yeah. that. From that. Um, I actually interned in St. Louis. I interned at the Truman Restorative Center in St. Louis oh, and I worked with um, Jerry Syke. So it was more mm-hmm. of a psych uh, geriatric population. And we also had a lot of individuals that were post-operative. Um, oper- uh, so they were recovering from a lot of um, amputations, um, like they had uh, diabetes. They were uh, being treated very well for it. So we had a lot of pain management to deal with, along with the Jerry psych management to deal with, with oh, music therapy. So, yes, yeah, so I had a, a different type of uh, experience, you know, with, with dealing with that too. How does music therapy differ from all other kind of therapies? Okay, sure. Um, well, um, it's it actually helps. It actually um, taps into both areas of the brain, and so it um, both areas of your brain actually are um, being stimulated. You know, mm-hmm. as you know, and so you have different outcomes that come out of it where you might not see it in um, physical therapy, occup- occupational therapy, or speech therapy. Right. And so, like the question was, why um, am I working with a, an ind- individual that's nonverbal, but then during music, all of a sudden they're they're starting to sing or they're engaging? You know, maybe a speech pathologist or a talk therapist wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. see that outcome, but through music, they're able to to somehow have that type of um, response, you know, to, to that stimuli. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And especially working in the hospice setting, I think it's important to note that your patients that you get in hospice care may not be able to respond externally in a way we can see to mm-hmm. a social work visit or a chaplain visit. Um, that does not mean they're getting, they're not take two. That doesn't mean they're not getting benefit out of those visits, but it does mean that a music therapist can provide a way for them to interact meaningfully, even if they can't talk or respond verbally. Um, Sometimes those nonverbal patients will sing along. Sometimes they don't, but they still make eye contact with you. They're still oriented to you, which is a big deal for someone who is not usually oriented to what's going on around them. Um, And it provides attentive and supportive presence that is really hard to come by when you are in the late stages of dementia. People often walk right by you. You'll see it in several assisted livings. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Let me go to the next question. Music therapy can help people with brain change explore their emotions and relax. Mm -hmm. Can it also trigger them in a negative way? Um, Madison, do you want to add? Y'all can both answer that. Yeah. It's a okay. little, um, it's a do you want to go question. first? Sure. sure. Yes, okay. there's several considerations with music. Mm-hmm. Um, I see lots of assisted living directors and activity directors get excited about the benefit of music and assume that more music is better. That is not the case. <laughs> Wisely used music is better. Um, music can trigger traumatic memories. 
um, for people who were um, substance abusing, it can trigger cravings. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at a lower level than the triggering of traumatic memories, it can be detrimental to their daily life. So if anyone has been in an assisted living before, this scene will be familiar. You walk in, there is music playing on the speakers, there's two TVs playing, there's alarms going off. And me, as someone who does not have um, a degenerative neurological disease, who does not have sensory processing issues, I'm overstimulated. I want to turn around and walk out because there's so much noise. Mm -hmm. I'm having trouble concentrating, listening to what's going on around me, and maybe even following directions. And so we wonder why everyone's anxious all the time. There's too much noise going on. You need more of a zen atmosphere rather than chaos. Well, and even the wise use of music. So even if there's music playing, if they can't benefit from it, if they can't hear it and concentrate on it, you're not going to get the benefit. So a wise use of music might be when we play the music on the speakers, we don't have TVs on. We do it for maybe 20 minutes. And then we cut the music off because if music's going all day, it's too much, um, it's too much mm. and you lose the benefit because it becomes background noise. Yeah. But you have yeah. to add mercy. Exactly. And I've, I've been in assisted living mm-hmm. before, so I know I've been into kind of utter chaotic, uh, high anxiety type mm-hmm. of um, situations. And usually I'll just be very kind to say, hey, you either re- re- take this individual maybe to another area mm-hmm. where it's a little quieter. Maybe we'll, if it's a nice day outside, we'll go outside mm-hmm. and for environmental change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that happen too, where they just a breath of fresh air. If they're able to, if yes. they're not bed bound and they're able to be rolled outside or, or do an outside session, it's a beautiful spring day. Um, it'll probably help calm them a little bit more and put them more of a relaxation state if we're doing mm-hmm. some nice, pretty music. Again, like you said, like maybe 20 minutes max, um, keep it short, and then mm-hmm. um, make just watch the agitation yeah. um, moves of the, of the client or patient. Yeah. And then we'll put them, we'll, we'll have them come back inside um, and, you know, and just see how, how they're doing without, right. without that. Do the clients or patients, we're talking about both because we work with clients and patients, Generally, mm-hmm. do they have to have experience in music? Did they that it wasn't like in their adulthood or childhood they played an instrument mm-hmm. or were music fans? Yeah, um, no, they don't have to be, um, you know, educated in music or learn how to play a music instrument to benefit from music therapy. If they have uh, more of an innate um, interest, you know, a natural interest, and just enjoyment of music and listening to music, they'll benefit in many different ways. We just take that tool of mm-hmm. music and we we kind of morph it, we, we flex it, you know, mm-hmm. to suit um, the needs of that of that person. So it's very personalized yeah. um, yes. the way that we do our interventions. Madison, what does a music therapy session look like? It depends. All right. <laughs> it depends. It depends whether it's individual or group. It depends on the needs of I work with patients and clients. So the needs of the patient or client, it depends on how they're even doing that day. Um, Generally, my hospice music therapy sessions have a lot more of me playing music and it looks like the patient's just listening rather than interaction, but I'm still observing them for their responses, for their agitation. for eye contact, for the things that when you work with seniors for a while, you know what to look for, the little victories. Um, 
but it might also look like a lot of talking and reminiscing. I have some hospice patients that I see who are very isolated. Um, they don't come out of their room very much. There's not a lot of people in the care home that can converse with them. And so our visits are mostly talking and music discussion. Mm -hmm. I might play um, a song or two and we use that as a springboard to discuss and reminisce. Um, but then with my patients who are less verbal, who um, need more help with redirection and attention, I'm doing a lot more music. I might even bring an instrument for them to use to entrain to the beat. Um, because that has been shown to be very relaxing physiologically when you're entrained to a beat. Mm -hmm. So I have these jingle bell bracelets that are very popular. Mm -hmm. They are my They're most popular, popular instrument <laughs> yeah, in my little bag of instruments. Yeah. And even just shaking that, it doesn't seem like much, but it has you keeping the beat. Mm -hmm. It has you entrained to what's going on around you. And now instead of just playing at someone and performing, we're having an experience together. We're both entrained to this beat. Mm -hmm. We're making eye contact. And it's a social connection and experience because at the end of the day, music is a social phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why it is so impactful. And that's why it's such a great therapeutic medium. While you're talking about hospice patients, what is the impact? We talked about the impact on the patient. What about... Uh, Talk about the impact on the family as well. Mm. It is so difficult to have a family member on hospice. And even as hospice professionals, you don't know what it's like until you have a family member um, in that position. Family members often feel a lot of guilt and shame mm -hmm. if, if they need their loved one to be um, in a care home or assisted living. Um and there is not guilt and shame in that, but family members often carry that burden. And having someone else, just even one more person on the care team who gives them a call and says, hey, I visited mom today. She was a little drowsy, but she opened her eyes and looked at me several times. That's very comforting. It's comforting to them to have more eyes on their loved one. Mm -hmm. It's comforting to them to know that their loved one's quality of life and preferences are being honored. Not just the basic care needs, but above and beyond, their care team remembers that they are human, that they have preferences, and that they need meaningful connection. Um, family members also participate in music therapy. Um, I've had several hospice patients where I'm really there for the family. Mm. So I um, had one precious couple I saw that we would do music, the three of us in their front living room. Um, he would kind of go wander off. And then for the next hour, I would talk to his wife and just give her a space to process um, the emotions that come with grief. That reminds me of you doing music therapy at one of our care homes. And one of our resident's son did interpretive dancing mm. that was almost yes. cathartic for him. Yeah. as he was entertaining his loved one, his father, mm. um, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I have that on video. Yes. <laughs> so let me ask you this question while we're talking about hospice. Let's just, mm -hmm. we're, we're, while we're on the subject, it, the, the last sense to go at, at death is hearing. Yes. Do you ever play for end of life? Yes, I do. 
Um, actually, in my internship at Faith Presbyterian, they have that beautiful inpatient unit. And mm. so I got a lot of experience with um, music at imminent death. And it makes something that is very stressful and anxiety inducing into something sacred. Mm. So if you've seen families at the time of imminent death, um, it can be days that this person is laboring mm-hmm. and getting near the end, and it could be any minute now, and it becomes exhausting for the family. Mm-hmm. And to have a music therapist come in, provide music either to lighten the tension. Yeah. You know, I've had people where I come in for an imminent death visit and we seem to take me out to the ball game, yeah. and it lightens <laughs> the mood and family starts to reminisce. Or we have these very solemn, sacred moments where I'm playing the song that they walked down the aisle to at their wedding. And that encourages the husband to go hold her hand, say goodbye, because oftentimes families are at a loss for what to do and need a little guidance. Um, what's also good about music at imminent death is it's comforting for the patient. Um, you can often see them relax. Mm-hmm. It's comforting for the family because there's a lot of noises happening that Mm -hmm. they might not be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. There's the sound of the death rattle breathing, which Mm -hmm. as professionals, we know is not painful to the person, but family members often see it as discomfort. So it masks that sound. Mm -hmm. It can mask the sound of machines in the room that make the atmosphere feel medical. Um, And it can return the humanity and the beauty Mm -hmm. to this very sacred moment. Yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that, Marcy. Can I share experience? Um, Please. Yeah. Um, I had an experience also with um, one of the, the residents of, of one of the nursing homes that I was working with at the time. She was um, nearing hospice and she was. I was watching her at the beginning of the hospice stage mm-hmm. all the way into the most advanced hospice stage and to when where she would attend groups and then she would be isolated in her room and where she was actively dying. So I was actually involved with the whole, I was seeing the whole decline mm-hmm. all the way to to the end, I was giving my my musical um, thera- therapeutic supports to the family and to the and to the re- and to the patient or the resident. We also call them residents too if we work in nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, when she was um, near the imminent death stage, you know that was um, really something. And I, I also made some connections with the family members because her daughter would come in all the time and visit her mom. Mm-hmm. And then I got to know her really well. And we talked about her mom and her history and her and her music preferences and what she loved. Um, and so it was really meaningful because when she was, you know, at the imminent death um, stage um, with the rattle breathing, like you, like you had mentioned, too. And she was um, she also had I think she was hooked up to like a, an oxygen machine at the time. And it was helping her breathe. I was just. I went into the room again and I just provided support, um, played her favorite songs, um, the songs that her mom um, would that her, I'm sorry, songs that her uh, daughter was really um, very much connected to that her mother sang for her when she was young. So we kind of had that. The full very memorable full yeah. circle moment, like we'd sing childhood and just to trying to get her some sort of response. And even though this um, woman was actively dying, she did. I, we did get a little bit of a head nod mm-hmm. and a look towards uh, the daughter. And so for me, it was just really meaningful um, moment. Um, I've never actually experienced uh, myself, the, 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 the uh, patient actually dying, you know, while, while I'm there. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering... What have you experienced that when you're actually in the room? I actually have not, and I'm quite surprised because, especially during my internship, I was in and out 
all the time. And it would often be that they um, died shortly after I left. Yes. I know that my internship supervisor experienced that, um, but I just haven't yet. Yeah. And if I do one day, um, I it's a very sacred moment. I think people sometimes choose their moment. Either yeah. they want people surrounding them or not, or, not. or they wait for yeah. people to yeah. slip away and have their final moment. Marcy, yeah. what should someone consider when, um, when looking for a music therapist? Um, well, they, first of all, you know, that obviously they have the right credential, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're board certified to, to practice. Many of us, we have degrees in, in music therapy from accredited universities that, that train and teach us. Uh, we do internships along with that education. So we just want to, they make sure that we are qualified to, um, perform, you know, the, the necessary techniques that mm -hmm. we're trained on doing. So, cause it could be, if, if we're not, you know, it could be detrimental to, to a client or patient it could cause more harm than good. Yeah. And so we, you know, we're trying to, to, um, come up with certain interventions, specific interventions, um, again, tailored to the specific individual that we're right. working with. Right. So we have to really be knowledgeable of that. Um, also want to make sure that, um, we understand who we're working with and have um, a, a education based on the needs and goal goal planning and, and uh, objective planning with our you know with our sessions mm -hmm. activities to make sure that that's um, appropriate you know uh, for the age and for the the special needs or the or the diagnoses that we're working with as well. Right. Um, so we have to have knowledge of that as well. So um, I would say, do you agree with that? I'd say you. that that's, yeah, Madison. What do yeah. you think? Yes, I think you had it all. Mm -hmm. um, experience in the field. Um, the right credentials, you know, we also complete continuing education, like many other mental health care professionals to stay up to date and provide evidence-based best clinical practice. So mm -hmm. I think you hit it all. That's time. great. <laughs> Madison, what's your favorite genre of music oh, in working with the, uh, <laughs> our elder community and why? Okay. That's such a hard question. It depends. Mm. I, okay, this is funny. I used to hate country music because all I had heard is what's on the radio now. And mm -hmm. I just hated it. But I work in Collin County with the 80 plus crowd mm -hmm. and we sing a lot of Hank Williams and mm -hmm. Patsy Cline. And mm -hmm. I just have discovered I love the old country music. Mm -hmm. I think maybe in another life I could have been in the bluegrass family country band. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think that's this life. <laughs> um, so I love that. Um, I also love that I get to use a lot of the old Christian hymns. I am a, a woman of faith. I go to church, mm -hmm. but most churches now will use the more contemporary worship music. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something about the old hymns that a lot of my patients want to hear that just has a very deep historical and spiritual connection. Familiarity. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And sure. mm -hmm. so I would say those two are my favorites. Um, we also get a lot of rock and roll and Elvis requests. Sure. Um, I've gotten a request for ACDC before. Nice. We used recorded music for that because right. I could not, your, I could not recreate right. that faithfully as no, a can. woman on an acoustic guitar. Right. <laughs> what is something people may not know about the fast-growing field of music therapy? You want to take that one? Sure. Um, well, that it's actually being more recognized um, in many different hospitals, in um, nursing homes, and developmentally delayed um, 
pediatric settings. I'm seeing a lot more in, in those settings than ever before. And I think it's just because there's just, it's been evidence-based. There's a lot of research out. Um, there's new developments and research that, that are, that's coming out um, with new studies. Um, there's some neurological music therapy interventions that are becoming more requested um, with rehabilitation populations. So I actually got my certification in that. So um, I've done some rehabilitation work. Um, and uh, I think doctors and physicians are starting to really mm -hmm. understand and see um, how their patients are doing with, with music therapy um, ap application. And so, um, especially towards, you know, re recovery, you know, yes. post-op or they, you know, um, the, with pain management and, and uh, things like that. So I think the Fed, it's, it's going to be, it's growing. It continues to grow, continues to be recognized. And I think with podcasts like this and education for uh, mm -hmm. just po the basic population to understand, hey, I have a loved one with dementia or hospice or whatever the topic we're talking about. Someone's got some personal connection to it. Right. They know someone that might need it or um, seek it out. And so I feel that this, um, these types of uh, podcasts is very educational mm -hmm. and, yes. and research. Yeah. Madison, you want yes. to add to that? The research is something that people are often surprised to hear about. So we do have in the U.S. two peer-reviewed journals um, mm -hmm. published by, I think, Oxford University Press. Um, and there are several journals globally that publish peer-reviewed research on music therapy. And our research is also published in psychology and counseling journals. I mentioned I'm earning my master's in counseling, and I've noticed that a lot more people are interested in expressive arts interventions. And I think music and art therapists have a lot to add to that conversation. Um, and I just, I love research. I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> so I love to see all the new things come out and I love to learn about them. Uh, Very yeah, nice. That's really neat. So mm. let's shift gears for a second. I am fascinated by nonverbal residents singing along mm -hmm. when there's music therapy. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Why does that happen? It is a beautiful thing. Madison? I'm going to defer to Marcy okay. for the yeah. first okay. part of yeah. that answer. Okay. So through my experiences of actually having nonverbal residents and, um, you know, having them actually hum or, or um, sing even a word to a song, like, and the family that that's present there. Sometimes we have family members that are present to come in and listen. They're like astounded. Like, how could they say that one word? Or mm -hmm. they never spoke for, for seven years or whatever. You know, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not magic, you know, yeah. it, it just, it just depends on, you know, there might be like, um, part of their brain where the memory is stored there, there could be like, um, a part of it that's actually stimulated by a rhythm or a melody or a tone or something that, um, it produces that reaction. So it might not be, again, like, you know, you might get that response in a, in a music setting with a, with a familiar song. Like sometimes we'll sing a song that they really have from childhood. Usually mm -hmm. we'll use something that's, that's more of a long-term memory storage. And um, we'll try and, and get a response that way with, with the verbal response and leave out a specific word. And sometimes I've seen it like where we prompt them and they'll actually say the word. Um, and that's really a magnificent um, encounter, you know, and something that's very memorable yeah. um, that we're able to stimulate some, some, a little bit of that long-term memory mm -hmm. area um, with, with a familiar song or something to prompt them with it. So I think that um, you know, music has a way again of, of creating uh, neural pathways, you know, in the mm -hmm. brain that um, that compensate for the well, that help with the ones that are compensated, the neural pathways that are compensated and that that are damaged. And so that's why again we we have these responses that come out that might not might not see in a traditional type of therapy. That's, yeah. yeah. 
Right. I wanted to defer to you for the first part of that because I know you have the neurologic music therapy training. I like to liken it to something that a lot of um, senior care professionals will notice with someone who is having issues with verbal expression. um, You'll see it's easier for them to answer, how are you? I'm good. Mm -hmm. Those very rote, um, memorized things. And I like to compare it to that. So we use childhood songs. Um, We use, if I know someone has gone to church every Sunday for their entire life, Mm -hmm. I will use things like Amazing Grace, things I know that they know. Um, And the more popular verses of that, Mm -hmm. I actually have a funny story related to this. So um, I had this um, patient I was treating. She was a woman in the mid stages of dementia, mid to late stages. And she would still speak. It would be a live effort for her to get a couple words out. Um, But you could tell she had this wicked sense of humor. Um, And she would sing along. She would get a couple words in. And I was using this phenomenon as a cognitive game on the 4th of July week. So I had this name that tune game. And what you'll see if you play the song without the words, they'll um, hum along. Mm -hmm. They won't know the words or the title. And so I would say, okay, what's the title? And then I would give your grand old, right? It's flag, right? Mm -hmm. She goes, woman. (laughs) And so warming, warming up. I mean, we all cracked up. I can still picture it so vividly. Mm-hmm. Warming her up that way to get Tell those neural humor. pathways working mm-hmm. um, was just, it was what she needed to get that yeah. response out. Um, and like you were saying, rhythm, motor, yeah. um, speech, it's all connected in music, yeah. um, emotion. Yes. And the more parts of your brain that you have connecting with something, the more pieces there are to pull in with your memory. Exactly. And I see that. That's why, you know, a personal connection with someone that you're working with and knowing them very well Mm -hmm. about, you know, what the preferences are there, their long-term memory connections Mm -hmm. there. We have to really learn who who that person is because we want to make the best out of it. You know, we want to really bring out the best out of them if we can, because every moment is so crucial Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get a reaction from them. That's a huge, th- a huge thing, yes. even for the families. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, um, you know, uh, Edward, you know, um, gave you a smile today mm-hmm. or because you sang his favorite song and he gave you a word or a lyric to his favorite yeah. song, you know? So that's something that you had a connection with that day and um, that the families will, t- will take that home with them for a long period of time and say, you know what? Music was so impactful. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing a little bit of emotion, a positive emotional response when he was so agitated a few hours ago. Um, it made a huge difference. I mean, that's just, it is a huge difference. Like little things are such a huge difference at yes. that time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It is the little things. Yes. Madison, what haven't I asked you that I should? Why I'm so passionate about hospice and senior care. Mm-hmm. Um, as I started to learn more about hospice care and build relationships with my patients, I noticed that we often forget that people have preferences when they become older and when they have dementia. Um, and in what I do, I just I go into lots of different care homes and assisted livings. Some of them are excellent at providing individualized care, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. your homes. I consistently see that, yeah. um, which is why That's I like fantastic. working with Thank you. you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fantastic. 
but there are a lot of systemic issues in our healthcare system and especially for our seniors as we just have more and more people needing that kind of care. Um, you know, we are not paying the CNAs enough. Um, we are not staffing appropriately in a lot of these assisted livings. And so what I see is, you know, someone has a preference that you or I would be pretty upset if that preference wasn't honored. You know, mm -hmm. they don't want black coffee in the morning. They would like cream and sugar in it. I will not drink black coffee, right. but I, I drink coffee every single morning. And it seems so inconsequential when you're in a healthcare setting, but it's really about dignity. Um, and so that's why I'm so passionate about providing music therapy in these settings is it honors the dignity and humanity that is still there. Um, lots of people tend to, if not cognitively forget, I guess, in the procedural day to day, they forget that people who are living with dementia are still human and they still have dignity. They still need autonomy as much as they can have it. They still need human connection. Um, and music therapy provides a way to do that, even if we can't be verbal. Um, beautiful. Thank yeah, you. That's beautiful. What haven't I asked you that I should? Um, probably about, um, what it's like to work with, um, again, like agitated seniors in a, in a group setting. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been able successfully actually to help lessen the agitation. Um, I had actually a a personal experience with um, a, a patient I was working with during my internship in St. Louis. And um, we called her, well, she was called Screaming Mary because mm -hmm. what happened was with her, um, she had um, one of her, I think one of her children had died traumatically. Um, and so it was a very traumatic experience for her. And she kind of, um, she wailed. That's the way of, that she was mourning the the death of the child. And, um, I learned about that past experience that she had. And as she was aging and got more, um, more sick and had to be in the hospital setting, um, she was, she, she had more dementia. She was getting more into the Alzheimer's and more severe Alzheimer's. And so she was kind of stuck in that trauma loop. So she was wailing and screaming 24 seven. Like in her sleep, not sleeping, um, very agitated, um, confined to a wheelchair. And um, she was Italian American. So she had family from Italy, and I was learning more about her. And I was kind of interested to see how, you know, we'd take her out into a group and she'd sit in the group, but she'd still wail and scream throughout, mm -hmm. throughout all the activities and singing. So it wasn't really helping her that way. So I decided to do room visits with her on an individual basis and could find out. First of all, how can we lessen this agitation? Yes. You know, what what can we use musically that's going to help her uh, reduce her anxiety, get out of this traumatic loop that she's stuck in? Because it's not helping. It was causing agitation with other the residents yes. and patients are like they're yelling at her to be quiet. Mm -hmm. They're getting agitated. It's it not helping the staff as well. And so um, for me, I was like, maybe I can I can help her. I can do something. So I learned that she liked opera. And she loved Italian opera and she loved different types of opera. And so at the time I was studying opera, I was singing, I was doing stuff. And I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to go in. I'm going to just gonna sing an aria for her. So I sang, Voi che sapete. Voi che sapete, che cosa amore. And I sang it for her. And her whole face, she went, she went silent. She listened to me. Um, and she started singing with me. Wow. At the same 
exact uh, dynamic that I was using. So we started at a at a, um, a forte dynamic, which is a very loud dynamic, and because I was matching her screaming mm -hmm. level. And then all of a sudden, I started to do a pianissimo, uh, more softer level of singing to see if she would follow my my uh, dynamic. And she did. She started. This was after not not a, it wasn't immediate. Okay, this right. was like days of working with her, trying to really. Uh, help her, you know, and um, we had that connection, the opera connection. Yeah. And so it was Marcy, opera, you know, and, and I want Marcy. So she would ask for me to come and, um, you know, in her agitated moments of screaming, I, I, I would be there and I would just sing opera with her and she'd sing opera with me. And she actually had a really pretty voice because I think she used to sing mm -hmm. and, and learn. To, she liked singing. Um, so we had that connection. And I think it helped lessen her agitation over time. I noticed less screaming. The nurses were saying, hey, you know, she's, she's screaming. Mary's now singing Mary. She's singing instead of screaming. And it's great for the for the residents. And there's less agitation in the groups. And this is wonderful. And um, we made a connection, which was so That's beautiful. beautiful. Thank yeah. you. You have a beautiful voice, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're going to roll into the nugget portion of this episode. <laughs> okay. um, um, a musician friend sent me this and it was pretty impactful. Sometimes it takes only one song to bring back a thousand memories. Mm. Although our elder community may have um, no short-term memory, it's they can remember childhood and songs from a long time ago. So yes, that's definitely. the connection. Mm -hmm. All right, let's roll into the lightning round. This is an opportunity for yeah. viewers to get to know you. Sure. One word answers. One word answer. All right, let's roll. Okay. We're going to start with Madison, we'll roll over to Marcy. Okay. Where were you born and raised? Houston, Texas. Where were you born and raised? Raleigh, North Carolina. College and degree? SMU, bachelor's in music therapy, working on my master's at Colorado Christian. Nice. Arizona State University, bachelor of music therapy. What instruments do you play? Piano, guitar, voice lessons. Um, I can use my ukulele if I need to. All right. What okay. instruments do you play? Um, guitar, piano, small percussion, voice. Still in touch with childhood friends? Yes. Still in touch with childhood friends? Yes. Spicy food, uh, spicy food or plain Jane? In the middle. Yeah, I'm in the middle too. <laughs> All right. Call or text? Call. Mm, call and text, both. Ever broken a bone? Yes. Uh, no, luckily not. No bones. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chip. Oh, mine too. I love mint chip. Can you change a tire? No. 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 I can't either. Android or Apple? Apple. Apple. Uh, are you sentimental? Yes. I very know you so. are. Yes. You are for sure. Yes. Uh, karaoke, yes or no? Oh, no. yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> wow. Favorite band? Taylor Swift. Okay, Maroon 5. Nice. Favorite song? Crazy Patsy Klein. Favorite um, song? Rolling in the Deep. There you go. I love it. Great answers. <laughs> Thank you both for being here and sharing you your so expertise. Much. This Absolutely. was a, a for very, very informative episode, oh, so I appreciate so that. Um, you can see this episode or all past episodes on ManchesterLivingPodcast.com, YouTube, Facebook, or wherever, wherever you get your social media. If there's ever anything I can do for you, don't hesitate to call me directly. Um, in closing, we're going to have Madison play us uh, a song to roll us out of here. Well, we talked okay. a lot about memory. Um, and sentimentality. So I thought I'd finish us with Sentimental Journey. I'm gonna take a sentimental journey I'm gonna set my heart at ease I'm gonna take a sentimental journey To renew old memories Got my bag, got my reservation 
Spend every dime I could afford Like a child in wild anticipation I long to hear that all aboard Seven, that's the time we leave at seven I'll be waiting up for heaven Counting every mile of a railroad track That takes me back Never thought my heart would be so yearning Why did I decide to roam? Gonna take a sentimental journey Sentimental journey home